me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, oh, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO or the ROC. Ho, fresh out the frying What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast. Here with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here in the late hours of Friday, December the 2nd, for the most of you, Saturday, December the 3rd, the year 2022. Lots to do here on this first weekend of the month of December, the final month of the year, hard to believe, but yet here we are. Recap of the Bills and Patriots, of course, and a busy, jam-packed Week 13 across the National Football League to get into and sink our teeth into, not to mention a Week 13 picks against the spread. couple of uh, notes in terms of the, uh, well, not really notes in terms of on-the-court uh, on stuff, but a couple of things within the NBA that, well, at least surrounding the NBA in the news that I want to give uh, my, uh, that I want to give my two cents on here on this uh, weekend show, but we will jump right into it with a uh, with last night's game between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you right now that if you're a, if you know a New England Patriots fan that goes back further than the O one or the O two or the O three or the O four or the O seven or the or the or, or the 2011 13 14 Patriots if you know a lifelong Patriots fan lifelong Patriots fan and I don't mean lifelong Patriots fan you know that's my age that's 20 years of age I mean a lifelong Patriots fan that's in there that's 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 30 years old or older I I want you if you know one to give them a hug because the New England Patriots team that they have been subjected to, or at least were subjective to, subjected to last night, is a Patriots team that, to be quite honest with you, in all objectivity, is not going to make the playoffs. Uh, when it, when when it, when the uh, when the playoff dust settles at the end of Week 18, the New England Patriots don't have enough talent on offense. They don't have enough talent on offense. Mac Jones has regressed has regressed a a decent amount. They don't have an offensive coordinator, and they have no real true identity. And the Patriots cannot expect to get back to the playoffs. They can't expect to win a playoff game sans Tom Brady. They can't bounce back and and, be, and and show America that that we can be the New England Patriots 2.0 without Brady if their offense can't and struggles to score points. You know what was one of the you know what was one of the uh the main takeaways I got from the game on Thursday night? One of the main takeaways I got from the game is how bad the and how alarming uh, alarmingly uh, uh, soft the Minnesota Vikings defense is. That's what I got from the game on Thursday. Because this New England Patriots team somehow, some way, was able to manufacture 21-plus points. Mac Jones had statistically played his best game of the season on Thanksgiving night. 
So I walked out of that game thinking, how, how, damn, the Minnesota Vikings defense, you know, I, I might be a little, I got to be a little bit concerned about them at this point. That's what I took. That's what I took out of the game. Because the New England Patriots offense is not that good. It isn't. Jones twenty two of thirty six, one ninety five. They can't. They can't run the. They can't run the ball. They have no. They have good players on the offensive side of the ball, but they don't have a Stephon Diggs. They don't have a, 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 a Gabe Davis. They don't have a Tyree Kill, a Jalen Waddle, a, 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 a Mims, a Garrett Wilson. They don't. They don't have. Offensive uh, firepower and star power, like the like the other teams in the division, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills do. They don't. They don't have an offensive coordinator. Matt Patricia. I mean, I understand that Belichick is his mentor, and friends are gonna look out for one another, and this, that, and the other. But if you're Bill Belichick, and the last game Matt Patricia coach for the New England Patriots was Super Bowl 52 as a defensive coordinator was Super Bowl 52 and then he and if you remember correctly he gave up 40 plus points to the Philadelphia Eagles 40 plus points if you want me to read you the uh Eagles stat line from that game, I'll be very happy to do so. And his last game as the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots before he started that 2018 season with the Lions, his defense gave up 41 points. His defense gave up 41 points. They allowed the most yards allowed in a Super Bowl. 613 offensive yards. 613, a Super Bowl record. Nick Foles, 373, three touchdown passes. Caught a touchdown pass. LeGarrette Blunt ran for 90 yards. You're asking me, Jai, why are you bringing up statistics of a Super Bowl five years ago? I tell you why, because you factor that along with the job he did in Detroit, and I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no logical explanation why Matt Patricia forget being a head coach. There is no logical explanation why he should be a coach in the NFL, arguably anywhere. Period. Matt Patricia, the de facto offensive coordinator and play caller for this team, he stinks. Mac Jones losing his damn mind on the sideline, screaming and yelling. Offense is this, that, and the other. You got to throw the bleeping ball. Falls on him. And in the same breath, it, it has to fall on the head coach. Bill Belichick. Because Bill Bel because you cannot tell me and and throw the fact that Brady isn't on the roster out of it. You cannot tell me that 
Bill Belichick has set up Mac Jones in a position in a position to succeed this season. This season. He was very good last year. His rookie year, very good. Made the playoffs. And his OC leaves. Josh McDaniels goes and becomes the head coach of the Vegas Raiders. And then who is he stuck with an offensive coordinator? Form a guy formerly known, or not formerly known, but formerly employed as the Patriots defensive coordinator. So how is that fair to a second year quarterback that didn't Unlike a lot of other quarterbacks, you know, the Trey Lances of the world, they didn't, Jordan Love, they didn't sit. They were immediately thrown into, thrown into the fire, trying to fill the shoes of Cam Newton, who was a one-year fill-in to fill the shoes of the great Tom Brady. Has a decent year, confidence-building year, makes the playoffs in his rookie year, and then all of a sudden, his OC goes away. Not Belichick's fault, but the guy you replace his offensive coordinator with is a guy that has a defensive background that was the old head coach of the Detroit Lions who was toxic during his tenure in the, within the organiz, within that organization and this has nothing to do and this is no shade and this is no uh, uh slander on Bill Belichick his legacy and him being the greatest coach of all time and him being the great coach that he is cuz we understand that Okay? I'm not one of those idiots that think, oh, it was all Brady, this, that, and the other. Bill Belichick can't coach his way up and back. No, nonsense. Nonsense. But this year, specifically in 2022, you got to hold Belichick, the GOAT, the man who calls all the shots, football-wise within that organization, the on-field product. He's got his fingerprints all over it. He set up Mac Jones. He helped set up Mac Jones to fail. Horse crap and not a clear, direct offensive coordinator. Thus, the regression, the frustration, the bad play, the back and forth of do we play him when our crowd is is chanting from the high heavens for Bailey Zappi, the the injured ankle he sustained in their loss to Baltimore back in back earlier this year? Mac Jones deserves some blame as well, but maybe it's just me. But I don't completely want to pile on Mac for this because second year player. New coordinator, probably in some different ways, new system or new verbiage of some sort that he had spent an entire offseason and training camp and season learning under the guidance of Josh McDaniels. And then here's Matt Patricia, and then it's 
and then we're in limbo all throughout training camp. Uh, who's the offensive coordinator and the other? And Mac Jones was hung out to dry. And then with that fan base that has been accustomed to winning for two decades, that isn't used to losing to the Buffalo Bills, let alone at home after December 1st, who aren't used to getting blown out in playoff games, who aren't used to playing a lot of road, who aren't used to playing first-round playoff games on the road. They have a quarterback that they were advertised and sold as Baker. He's the perfect replacement of Tom Brady. He acts like Tom. He... He he he's kind of the, a generic looking quarterback. He has the the Patriots uh uh uh, uh coach speak. Got to get better in all three phases. He has all of that down pat. Spoils them, takes them to the playoffs. Patriots go what seven and nine twenty twenty with Cam. If Cam if Cam you know. Get doesn't get stopped a couple of line a couple of times inside the five yard line or a couple or a few bad fumbles from Cam Newton. They probably went to the playoffs that year, but they have a down year in the COVID year 2020. 2021, they bounce back, make the playoffs yet again, get curb stomped by Buffalo. But hey, rookie quarterback. They're back. Patriots are playing playoff football again after only a one year hiatus. Everything's good. And then we went from that to getting blown out by the Chicago Bears at home on Monday Night Football to the chance of Bailey Zappi to Thanksgiving night in Minnesota to Thursday night last night in the Buffalo Bills. So I'm not, I still think there is a place for Mac Jones to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots and obviously in the National Football League. But Belichick has to make up in his mind what is the best method of action I need to take to make sure that this quarterback is in the best position to succeed. Whether it's surrounding him with star position player talent or making sure he has a serious offensive coordinator. Because the path that they're going down right now with Matt Patricia calling the shots, is a road to destruction, pain, turmoil, frustration, and a path to mediocrity if they don't catch themselves. As for Buffalo, listen, Buffalo went out there and did what they needed to do. They didn't they Allen had his mistakes. He had the fumble. He had a couple of throws early in the game where he was begging to, where he was begging to get picked off and got lucky because uh, he uh, had because uh, he had a, a couple of uh, drops in the, the drops and and uh, and missed and ill time misfires in the in the uh, Patriots secondary. So Allen's got to be a little bit better. I I don't think he played completely. Uh, as well as I think he should have in the game, but definitely well enough to win. 22 of 33, two touchdown passes, 223 yards, no interceptions. Took care of the football for the most part outside of that fumble. 
They ran the football okay. You know, the Buffalo Bills, as we know, over the last couple of seasons have not been a great running football team uh, to begin with anyway. But Stephon Diggs, all-world, seven receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown uh, reception. Gabe Davis had one uh, as well. Uh, the Bills defense did a hell of a job stopping the run, held Stevenson only 10 carries on 54 yards on the ground, had Mac Jones uh, run, run around all over the place and had him searching for answers, and the Patriots just just really couldn't get anything going offensively. I mean, they had a nice drive early in the first quarter, and then they went silent in quarters two and three, and that essentially was all she wrote, and that was the rest of your ball game. The Patriots defense... It's a good defense. They have talent in that defense. When you're sending them out there on the field, you know, every, you know, every single, I read it to you. Patriots opening possession, three plays, nine yards, punt. Their, their possession after their touchdown drive, three plays, three yards, punt. Next drive, three plays, no yards, punt. Next drive, three plays, three yards, punt. They get they they get un they get uh unlucky they get unlucky with the uh, Nick Folt mix miss field goal which hits the crossbar, uh, prior to the end of the half, but then they they could get the ball their second the second possession of the second half their first possession the Patriots is of the second half themselves, seven plays thirty six yards they punt I mean but there was a lot of stretches that I read you read to you off the play by play sheet. Where it's three plays, minimal yardage of moving the football. You don't take any time off the clock, and then you're punting. It's it's three plays, uno, dos, tres. You barely move the ball, and then punt. I bring all that up to say the Patriots have a good defense, not great, but a but a good defense that's got talent on it. But I don't care how talented your defense is when your defense barely has an opportunity to take a piss and take a, a, a water break on the sideline because their offense can't move the ball downfield worth the squirrel fart, eventually the defense is going to get tired, they're going to get frustrated, going to get confused, and teams like the Buffalo Bills and the offense that the Buffalo Bills have, they're, they're too much talent on it, and they're too good, and they have too, and they have too many uh, great playmakers on it for them not to take advantage of, of uh, of the Patriots offense uh keeping uh keeping uh the their defense on the field constantly and Josh Allen is going to do what Josh Allen does and that's take advantage uh and take advantage of the open opportunity thus your 24 to 10 victory where the Buffalo Bills didn't play out of their mind but they certainly played uh but they certainly played dominant enough to win the football game so again the, the Patriots nothing doing on offense the Buffalo Bills creamed them in time of possession for nearly nearly by a whole 20 minutes. 38 minutes and 8 seconds, Buffalo Bills had the ball compared to the Patriots, 21-52. That's not a recipe to win in football games. Nor is getting into the red zone only once. Granted, the game was out of reach by that time. But getting into the red zone only once during the course of during the course of the football game. Patriots offense only generated 242 total yards. And we're three of twelve on third downs. A game that Buffalo had to have and win convincingly, they take care of it. Now they've put themselves in a position where if my Bengals knock off the Chiefs this weekend, they reclaim the one seed with a nine and three record. They got back to back hard divisional games, but they're at home though, against the Jets and against the Dolphins. Hard games, but in their building, 
uh, for the first time in eons. Then they got a break with the Bears Christmas Eve and then back to the uh, gauntlet with the Bengals. And then they get another opportunity to beat the piss out of the Patriots in their own building in week 18 of the regular season. Meanwhile, the Patriots currently sitting at 6-6 six and six with, the, with a couple of winnable games, one would think, against the Cardinals and the Raiders. And then they have the gauntlet the rest of the season ending with the Patriot and the Patriots ending with my Bengals Christmas Eve, the Dolphins New Year's Day, and the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo the last weekend of the regular season. They got two winnable games that I don't really see them winning. You know, could they beat Arizona? I guess. I would, could they beat Vegas? Uh, they have an opportunity because Belichick would know what McDaniels is up to frontwards and forwards and, and backwards like the like the back of his hand. So he would probably out-coach McDaniels in that game. But in terms of who has the better roster, 1-53, through 53, it's the Vegas Raiders. But the Patriots have a better coach, so that might be a toss-up. And then the last three, Gauntlets, Bengals, Dolphins, Buffalo. I mean, just so the Patriots right now put themselves in a position where they uh, could be spending the second, could be spending the second, uh, a second January in the last three seasons home instead of uh, playing in the playoffs. And by January, you know what I mean. Uh, while, you know, playoff January football, not regular season January football. The Patriots are one and a half game, one and a half games back of the Jets for the final wild card spot. They do have tiebreaker over the Jets, which is a glimmer of hope. But the Chargers are six and five, and the Chargers schedule. They have the Raiders. Well, they have a little bit of difficult schedule too. But the benefit that they have is that they have the Colts, the Rams, the the Broncos, and then the Raiders this week. So that so it's 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 manageable, not impossible, not great, but manageable. The Bengals have a hard schedule, and they of course play they play each other head to head. And the uh, Dolphins, who the pay, who the who who the Patriots lost to back in Week One, to open up the season. They they have a little bit of a tough test. Uh, in these next three weeks, they got well, in these next three weeks they got the 49ers, the Chargers, and the Bills, all road games, and then the Packers, who stink, which they'll take care of. The Patriots, New Year's Day, aforementioned, and then they uh, host the Jets. But I think the oppor- I think the chances of seeing the Patriots in the playoffs for a second straight season is slim to none. Take a break. We'll get to Week 13 action coming up on Sunday. This is the Yamatelica TIS podcast. Just getting started. Welcome back. To the Amatelica TIS podcast. Switching gears now to the Sunday action happening. Week 13 in the National Football League. Busy slate. 
good slate of games. Uh, you have, uh, what, you have one, two, three great games at one o'clock. You have two in the four o'clock hour. The Sunday night game stinks. The Monday night game isn't much better, but you got a very good action of of Sunday afternoon football on hand for the first weekend of NFL football in the month of December. Where we will begin first is with the Minnesota Vikings taking on and hosting, welcoming the New York Jets. This is a game that the listen, if you're the Jets and Mike White, your attitude coming into this game is just to see and and, and score. It, it sounds uh very it sounds very it's it sounds like a Booger McFarlane-ism, but the but the bottom line is you you gotta score some points in this Minnesota Vikings defense. I touched on it in a monologue relating to the Patriots. The Jets gotta score. You can score on this Minnesota Vikings offense and the or excuse me, Minnesota Vikings defense and the Jets' defense is good enough where they can kind of do what the Dallas Cowboys did against them, and that's take advantage of the left side of their offensive line, utilize Quinn Williams, get that pass rush going, pin their ears back, get them into a lot of third and longs, make Kirk Cousins have to force the football downfield, hope he makes a mistake. And then you also hope that a Sauce Gardner uh, and the crew do a sensational job shutting down uh, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and that uh, Minnesota Vikings receiving core. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup between Justin Jefferson and Sauce Gardner. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Minnesota Vikings game plan on with their offensive line going up against the uh, New York Jets pass rush. And well, we see the same Mike White-led uh, Jets offense uh, show will we see the same Mike White Jets offense uh, in uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday afternoon? I anticipate that I anticipate that we will. This is a to say it's a winnable game for the Jets would be an understatement. I can very well see the Jets walking into U.S. Bank Stadium and winning this game uh, 24-13, 24-14. I can certainly, in my heart of hearts, see that. But the bottom line is with the Jets, they got to take care of the football. Mike White and the crew, the guy can take care of the football, control the clock with the run game. Their defense was very, was very, very spotty, especially in the first quarter against against Trevor Simeon and the Chicago Bears of all teams in the first quarter last week. You, if you're the judge defense, you cannot afford to have a repeat performance in, in, in the first quarter to start out this game because if you allow this uh, this Vikings defense to, to stay in the get in the game and stay in the game and put a couple of uh, touchdowns on the board early, you're in for a dogfight and you're in for another shootout. And I don't know that the Jets have enough offensive start, uh, firepower compared to the Minnesota Vikings in order for them to keep up. But they certainly have a bet. But they certainly have some good weapons offensively, and they certainly have the playmakers and a good enough defense to beat the Vikings. The problem is that you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have to match the Vikings score for score because I I don't think in the end that the Jets have enough offensively in order to keep up with the Vikings in a shootout. So the Jets defense has to come out raring to go, ready to play, pass rush, get home, make Kirk Cousins sweat a little bit, force the mistake, stop the run, Dalvin Cook, or keep him from running the football. 
uh, keep him from running the football and having a uh, and ha- putting together a hundred a hundred and five yard rushing performance, uh, and see and see how Sauce Gardner is going to uh, if he's going to uh, lock up uh, J- uh, Justin Jefferson, which should be a great matchup to see uh, as well. But it's a, it's a game I see I can see the Jets winning. I I understand that the that the Vikings are the home team. And uh, and nine and two compared to seven and four, but this is absolutely a game I can see the New York Jets, you know, take running the taking care of the football, working the clock, keeping the Vikings offense on the sideline, and they end up winning this game by a final score of twenty four fourteen or something like that. Um, they got uh, they got Dwayne Brown. He is questionable for this game, week thirteen. Carter, their running back, did not practice on Friday. He's doubtful for the game. Uh, Noah Fant suspected to return. Uh, their offensive tackle Cedric Obiubje, however you pronounce his name, I apologize. He's questionable, week thirteen for the Jets. Meanwhile, for Minnesota, uh. Meanwhile, for Minnesota, they have uh, they uh, have uh, Ed- Everson Griffin, who's who is listed as questionable for Week Thirteen, and do I have another one here for you? And and uh, Ty Chandler, one of their one of their uh, backup running backs, expected to return this week as well, and uh, Ross Badlock, their defensive uh, interior tackle, uh, set to re- is set for questionable. For Sunday's game against the Jets. The Jets and Vikings is game number one. Game number two is the Commanders taking on the New York football Giants. This is a game, ladies and gentlemen, that if the Giants if the Giants get swept by by Washington, I don't believe the uh, Giants are making the playoffs. And it would be best for the Giants psyche with that young with that young roster and the and and the uh, and the early tenured coaching staff, it would be best for them if they come out and take care of business and beat the Commanders. They have the Commanders two times in three weeks. The Giants have the Eagles mixed in in between Week 14. Meanwhile, Week 14 next week is the uh, Commanders bye week, so they have the Giants back to back with the uh, with a bye week in between. And then after the Commanders game in Week 14, the Giants have to go on the road and play the Vikings Christmas Eve. So the Giants have a heavy divisional slate. Uh, in the month of uh, well, really, you can go back to Thanksgiving from Thanksgiving to Week Fifteen, December Eighteenth. That's four consecutive divisional games, uh, and uh, and and from December to the last weekend of the season, they play four divisional games: two against the Commies and two against the uh, two against the uh, two against the Commies and two against the Eagles, with the Vikings and the Colts mixed in. Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. But the Giants who are injured to hell and back got a lot of injuries in their secondary. Uh they are paper thin in terms of their uh, wide re- in terms of their wide receiver depth. This is a game that the Giants have to go out there. Saquon Barkley run the football. 
uh, run the football effectively, which he did, which he could not do against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Get out to an early lead and force Taylor Heineke to make the mistakes and to keep uh, Washington to put and make Washington play from a deficit and keep the ball in Taylor Heineke's hands as much as possible with them throwing the ball in an area of being behind instead of an area of strength playing out from in front. You allow the commanders to get out in front, control the clock, control the tempo of the game, run the football effectively with Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson uh, in the backfield, and then, of course, allow Taylor Heineke on the, thir- on the third downs that they have to have or 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 drives inside the red zone, allowing him to uh, make, make the uh, clutch throws to Terry McLaurin and the crew. You know, you could be the Giants could be looking at a, a twenty-eight to you know a twenty-eight to ten uh, ball game if they're not careful. So they have they it's imp, it's imperative that they win both games against the Commanders because that in all objectivity could be the difference between them making the postseason and them staying home. But I think it's better for the psyche and the confidence of this team. Having lost back, having lost back-to-back games, they've lost three out of their last. They've lost three out of the last four games on the road to Seattle and back-to-back against the Lions and the Cowboys. It's imperative, in my opinion, that the Giants get off the deck and this little skid that they're on right now and take it to the foot and take it to the Commanders and get the eight and four because you get the seven and five, you're gonna get a little squirmy. Get a little bit, you know, and the team's going to go through its first little rough patch of the season, and it's going to come in an ill-advised time while the commanders are uh, essentially haven't looked, essentially have not looked back since the mid since uh, since since late mid late October, and the Seahawks are at least for the moment uh, still treading above water uh, at six at six and five, and and to and to top it all off. If the Seahawks and the Giants finish with the same record, you know, trying to get the seventh seed, the Seahawks will make the playoffs because they have the tiebreaker over the Giants with the head-to-head victory back on uh, October 30th. So, Giants got to, they have to win this game. They have to. They get swept, they're dead, but they have to win this game. Meanwhile, the Commanders—they are just on a on a groove, man. They can do no. You know, that was funny. You know, you think about all the good seasons that the Commanders have had over the last what decade or so, going back to the days as the Redskins. It's almost as if it's like they're better off with the season starting in November, or the season starting in late October, because you look at all the good seasons that they've had, you know, they start out slow and then they pick it up and, and the light switch flips on once November comes around. And then the second half of the season, they play light, they play lights out and they, and they win nine, 10, 11 games. It was like that in 2012. What did they start out? Uh, one in five, one in five or one in six. And they ended up running the table and winning, Running the table, damn near close to it, and ended up uh, winning the division, winning the winning the 2012 NFC East, 2015 similar deal. They win it, they won that division that year. They started out sluggish in 2020, of course, in the COVID year, and somehow found a way to string together nine wins, or excuse me, seven wins. They ended up winning the division, seven and nine, and made the pay and made the eventual Super Bowl champion. Buccaneers sweat a little bit in the opening round. 
it's something about this team. They start out slow in September and in October, and then once November comes around and they're and their season basically is on life support. They somehow band together and and find a way to win the games they have to win. And then all of a sudden you blink and the Washington Commanders or back then ten years ago the Washington Redskins are playing in the playoffs. It's, it's the abs- it's 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 the most unbelievable thing I've noticed with this team over over the last decade plus. Uh, going back to the Jay Gruden years, and of course within these last couple of seasons with uh, Ron Rivera, who deserves a ton of credit. Who's the who deserves a ton of credit? You know this team. Uh, you know looked like they were dead in the water. The situation with Rivera and the handling of uh, of uh, Carson Wentz and will he play and won't he play? You know the issues with benching him. Robinson getting shot in the off season. He comes back, and then of course the distraction with the dance with the Dan Snyder lawsuits and him getting subpoenaed by Congress and and the controversy about him will he sell the team or won't he sell the team? It's just and all of that just doesn't matter. They just put that they rally around each other, rally together, and they and they and they put their head down and just. <laughs> Hell, they just they just continue to find ways to win football games. They don't play pretty football. They don't their brand of football isn't sexy. It it isn't going to light up the highlight highlight reels. It isn't the most uh uh, uh it's it's not the, the 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 nicest eye candy of NFL football you can you can uh you can watch. But the Commanders at in the at the end of the day are seven and five and in last place. They have seven wins before their first December game, and they're in last place. A, it goes to show you the turnover of the NFC East. It went from the NFC least to the NFC beast in a span of two years. I mean, when when the team when the last place team in the division is is has seven wins is seven and five. I mean, you know that's when you know that you're in a good company. Also, if the Commanders win this game and the Giants lose, the Giants will fall in the last place and the Commanders would bump up. But the but the Commanders, going back to them, man, give them a ton of credit. They find a way to get the job done. Heineke doesn't have to play great ball, but he's a warrior, he's a fighter, he's a baller, and he makes the and he makes the uh, clutch throws on third down, on, on dri- in drives and on plays. That Washington has to have, he gets the job done. They run the football uh, tremendously well with Gibson and Robinson. Terry McLaurin, I've said it forever, one of the more underrated wide receivers that this league has to offer. And their defense has slowly improved, has slowly but surely improved that the season's going on as well. And oh, by the way, Chase Young is back. So factor that into the equation as well. Uh, and look at it this way. Going back to the Giants right quick before I move ahead to the Titans and the Eagles. If the Commanders win on Sunday and go to 8-5, and five, they would get the sixth seed. If the Giants lose and the Seahawks beat the Rams, the Giants would fall from the six down to the eight. It would be on the outside looking in. If the Seahawks somehow find somehow and it would be finding a way losing to this god awful Rams football team if they, if the Seahawks somehow lost to the Rams the Giants would still hold a playoff spot at the 7th seed at 7 and 5 but if the Giants lost to the Commies on Sunday and the Seahawks beat the uh, beat the Rams 
The Seahawks would hold the seventh seed, and the Giants would drop from the six down to the eight. So factor that into Sunday's matchup as well. Switching gears to the Titans and the Eagles. This the with this game with between these two football teams, you know, with the Eagles, I got to see, and they've been very spotty over that day. Of course, they made a ton of mistakes, turned over the football left and right. Their first loss of the season against Washington. The week after, they fought it around, turned over the football again. Offense for their on for on their standards was inept in the Colts game until the final two minutes. I got to see the Philadelphia Eagles come back and play that same uh, brand of football that got them to be, you know, that got them to 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 a nine to a nine and zero football team. I gotta see. I gotta see that. I gotta see them play a perfect game or or somewhat damn near perfect game, dominant game where they are able to stop the run defensively. Their offense is clicking on all cylinders. Able to run the football, balanced offense. Uh, AJ Brown's holding on to the football defense turnover the uh, get uh, getting enforcing turnovers. I haven't seen a game like that from them in quite a while. In, in quite a while, you know, the Texans game was very back on November third was a very sloppy performance. Uh, coming, I really haven't seen a game like that, that they played since October thirtieth against Pittsburgh. I haven't. Week two was good. Week three, good. Uh, had a you know against the cowboy against the Cowboys was okay. One, I won't even get the Cowboys. Week two, week three, and week five and week eight. That's it. Those are the dominant ass kicking wins I've seen from Philly this season. That I and I haven't and I haven't seen one like that since. I didn't see it at all in November. We'll see if they can find if they can find it again in uh, here as we start the month of December. But I gotta see it. I gotta see them take care of the football. No turnovers. No fumbles. No Jalen Hurts interceptions. They start. They finally for a change gave the ball to Miles Sanders a plenty, and they're winning against Green Bay last week. I gotta see. I need to see. And the Eagles have to continue to pound the rock and feed. Miles Sanders heading into this game against the Titans on on Sunday. The Bengals ran the football effectively well against Tennessee. Were able to control the clock and keep Tennessee from playing from a deficit, keeping keeping the ball out of Derrick Henry's hands and more into Ryan Tannehill's hands, where where their offense is more prone to make a mistake. Throw in the fact that the Titans' wide receiving core isn't as electric as it has been in years past. So that's got to be your blueprint with the Eagles is run the football effectively with Miles Sanders controlling the clock, keeping the ball out of Derrick Henry's hands when the Titans are on the field, forcing the play from a deficit and forcing Ryan Tannehill to make plays, uh, to make plays with his arm. C.J. Gardner Johnson has a, a lacerated, uh, has a lacerated kidney, so he'll be out and he'll miss some time. But I don't anticipate that it will affect the Philadelphia Eagles a great deal. They just I just go out there, kick ass, take names, and get the job done. Find a way to stop Derrick Henry. Do it. The, you know, saw a lot of things that the Bengals did: mixing up formations, uh, have, stacking the box with their DBs, their corners, their safeties, linebackers, so to speak. Different looks, attacking the edges, get, trying to get, especially on the shotgun runs, getting Derrick Henry. 
and, and tripping him up by his legs at the line of scrimmage, behind the line of scrimmage. I got to see the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, you know, kind of get get a little bit creative with their looks, and uh, and see and and see what and fi- and find their avenue of stopping Henry because it, they could be in for a little bit of a uh, little bit of a of, of they could be in they could be in a little bit of a tizzy. Uh, if the uh, if Derrick Henry is allowed to play his game and control the clock and run rampant all over the uh, Eagles defense, Titans and Eagles is game number two. Game or excuse me, game number three. Game number four, and it's an absolute joke and another disgrace that this game isn't on Sunday Night Football. I mean, granted, it's granted it uh it it, it starts about a good half hour before my team plays at four twenty five. So I'll be able to see. So I'll be able to see the first half, if you know, the first half hour uh, of this game. If there isn't any one o'clock games that's carrying over, that's uh, that will require my attention. My attention. But it's an absolute joke and an utter disgrace that the Dolphins and the 49ers is not on Sunday Night Football this week. I mean, a i a i can't stand the i i can't stand the idea. I don't like the idea of the two great of the two great remote stopper games going on at the same time, especially unless I have Sunday ticket, so it's not the end of the world. But not everybody does have Sunday ticket, and it would and it stinks that you know that that only a select uh, few. Matter of fact, I got a hold of the um, of the little coverage map. That CBS and Fox that CBS and Fox puts out uh, for who's going to get what game and what re and what region. Uh, it stinks that only I mean this this is the amount of people that are going to get uh, Miami and San Francisco, uh, Northern California, Northern, Northern. Uh, the only part of Nevada that won't for whatever the reason that won't get that won't get see that won't get uh the dolphins and the 49ers is uh is is southern is southeast nevada but everywhere else in nevada you'll be able to see it northern california southern southern uh oregon all of utah all of arizona most of new mexico all of colorado um and uh, and a little and Minneapolis will get the game, no, not Minneapolis. Uh, mid uh, mid uh, mid Minnesota will get the game. Will get the game, uh, along with Atlanta will get the game. Birmingham, Alabama, that little area will get the game. Houston, Texas, for whatever the reason, will be able to see uh, uh, Dolphins and Forty Niners. And South be and of course South Florida will will be able to get the game as well, and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Buffalo and Baltimore the in Central Maryland will be able to get uh, the Dolphins and the uh, 49ers. And the thing that bothers me outside effect this game is on national television, the second closest team, the second regional team here in the state of Maryland is. The Washington Commanders. It's the Washington Commanders. Yet, for whatever the reason, Central Maryland, which is from Carroll County to 
you know, which is Carroll County eastward across the bay to the Delaware Maryland state line. The eastern shore will be able to get it for whatever the reason, but from Carroll County to the state line next to Delaware, that little area of the state, for whatever the reason, the Baltimore region, the Baltimore ish area of the state won't get Washington and the Giants, which in my opinion, in my estimation, makes absolutely zero sense. Washington Stadium is within the state of Maryland for crying out loud. It's with they play in the state of Maryland. When when they when they pay the lease, the lease goes to the state of Maryland. The state that I the state that I live in, the state that I'm from. And there's only a select amount of times out of calendar year where the Ravens on Fox and the Ravens aren't on Fox this week. They're at one o'clock. Well, the Giants are the Giants watch this at one o'clock too, but Baltimore is at one o'clock on CBS. So I don't understand why Washington isn't available in central the Washington game. They're in the DM. They, they represent their DMV team. They play in the state of Maryland Yet roughly half the state of Maryland won't see the won't see Washington on their local Fox station, which to me, and this has been an issue forever, which to me is one of the dumbest things that make that make no sense I've ever I've ever seen in my freaking life. I mean, San Francisco and Miami, two teams that are a good that are a good hike away for away from the state of Maryland. One team is is all the way across the country in California, and the other team is a good two and a half hour plane ride away down south. And yet, for whatever the reason, I mean, again, the Ravens they don't play. They're not on. They're not on Fox. They're not on Fox. And the one game, and because CBS has the doubleheader this week, but the one game that you put on the local Fox station here in Baltimore, it's Fox, it's WBFF, Fox 45, and it's, now listen, I won't complain because locally I won't have, you know, I don't have to go through the, the Mason Nation Sunday ticket. I just hop on the Fox Sports app on my Files TV app on my iPad, bunch of game up there and watch it because sometimes it was Sunday take with the streaming. There's a little bit of a few minute uh, delay to what's happening, you know, on the actual local lo- now, you know, on the it, compared to it coming, uh, coming through on your local, on your local TV station. So I'm not complaining. I'll be able to see it, you know, if they put it on my local Fox station. If they don't, I have the Sunday ticket. But it just makes absolutely no sense that the, that that Washington will not be sh- that the Washington game won't be shown in essentially half the state, and, and when they when they play in the damn state for crying out loud, it makes absolutely zero zero sense to me. Along with the fact that this game is not on Sunday Night Football to begin with. I mean, I understand that the Dallas Cowboys, you know, that 42 million people watch the Dallas, uh, watch the Dallas Cowboys uh, play on Thanksgiving on uh, play on Thanksgiving last Thursday. But a that was Thanksgiving. B the market size of their opponent was was New was New York City tri-state area with the Giants and the Giants and the Cowboys is a historic rivalry. The, unless you're all wrapped up, you know, Super Bowl five, uh, January of 71 between the Baltimore Colts 
and the Dallas Cowboys. Who in the hell gives a damn about the Colts and the Cowboys? You know, on a on a league wide basis, the Colts are a boring ass football team to watch. That aren't going no, that aren't going anywhere. They're not making the playoffs yet. Inexplicably, they're still on Sunday Night Football because Cowboys. I mean, it just absolutely drives me freaking. I mean, hell, they. I mean, what was the? I mean, let me get this straight. You flex out of Denver and the and the Chiefs after you subjected us to that garbage game on Sunday Night Football for years and years and years. You've subjected you've subjected America to that crap for years. They get Russell Wilson. You put him on there again. Russell Wilson is washing the Broncos stink. They'll have about they'll probably have, they could have nine losses before that game. Or by the time that game rolls around next Sunday, you flex out of that, even though you love Mahomes, and yet you keep the Cowboy game on there because of what? I mean, here's what you do. You flex out of Colts-Cowboys, you give that game to Fox, and then you stick San Francisco and Miami on Sunday night. Boom. So this way, all of America will be glued in to your premier game for that hour, which is Chiefs-Bengals. Half America is going to be wrapped up in Dolphins and 49ers, and then and with the with a small local with a small group of people that'll be able to see it all across their local station. Meanwhile, everybody else will be watching Bengals and um, Bengals and uh, Bengals and Chiefs. Not to mention the two games being on at the same time with the you know with a half hour buffer between the two, it, it, they cannibalize each other. Which I don't, which I don't, under, which I don't understand as well. But that the Bengals and 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 Chiefs game will be seen nationwide on every single CBS station from New York City to Seattle, Washington. The only little part of the country that won't see it on their local station is Southern Oregon, the entire state of California, and Western Nevada. That's it. And no, and that's because that's the market that will have the Chargers and Chargers and and in uh, Vegas. Everybody else will see the Bengals game. But anyway, I'm getting off the beaten path. The uh, Dolphins and the 49ers. That has a potential to be an to be a very good football game. Uh, now they got a lot of injuries. The uh, the 49ers have heavy, uh, were a couple of significant injuries. The 49ers do, I should say, heading into this game. Uh, I heard earlier this week, uh, my girl Joy Taylor said that the Dolphins have more that the that the 49ers have more to prove heading into this game than the Dolphins do. I vehemently disagree with that. The Dolphins. This is a game that the Dolphins have to win, albeit they have a better record. And their division is more, uh, well, not even there for. The Dolphins need this game more than the 49ers do. Because they have they play in a much more competitive division. Much more competitive division. Division still up for grabs. Bills won Thursday night. They got to win to keep up with Buffalo and to maintain their place in first place. Much more competitive division. Furthermore... Although they're eight and three, not at least I don't take them as seriously as a big time content Super Bowl contender in the AFC as I do the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC. So and the Dolphins have to win this game to prove to me 
that they can hang with teams that have the defensive firepower like the 49ers do, that they can score on elite defenses, that they can hold off defensively, which I have not seen from them this season. They can stop the offensive weapons that San Francisco have, CMC, Debo, Ayuk. I got to be able to see that. Because teams that the Miami Dolphins have been cooking up, I mean, let me just, let, me, let the Ravens aside, the Ravens aside, teams that they've scored 30 points or more against, the Lions, whose defense stinks, the Bears isn't much better, the Browns, their defense is atrocious, and the Texans. The Lions, Bears, Browns, and Texans defenses are not anything to write home about in terms of elite defenses. The one that they have done it on is the Baltimore Ravens. And even then, you kind of have to look at that with a little bit of a raised eyebrow with their defense. That's it. All the, all the you know, Patriots, good defense, they scored 20 points. The 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 Steelers haven't had a great defense. My stretch of the imagination, they only scored six. They only scored sixteen points against them. Buffalo, they only now it was good enough to win the game, but they scored twenty one points. I gotta see the Dolphins put together a thirty plus point performance on an elite defense. The Ravens defense, at least at that moment in time, was very good. But I haven't. But even then, if you want to give them the Raven, if you want to give them the Ravens, that was all the way back in week two in mid September. It's December the second, and they've played a lot of crappy defenses since since then. The ones that I've mentioned with Detroit, the Bears, the Texans. Those are garbage Browns, garbage defenses of teams that are that are, that aren't even going to sniff the postseason. And I got to see Tua, hostile environment. On the road, three thousand miles, three thousand miles away from from Miami. And I see him go on the road with Tua, with Waddle, well not with Tua, with Tyree Kill, with Waddle, Kaseki, Mostert, and I got to see them put together 28, 31, 35 points up against that elite defense with with Bosa, Armstead, and 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 that and that elite defense that the 49ers have on the other side. I got to see him do that in order for me to say, oh, okay, Miami, you're up there with Buffalo. You're up there with, you're up there with Buffalo. You're up there with Kansas City. Because in my opinion, it's Kansas City, Buffalo, neck and neck, gap, and then it's the Miami Dolphins. Not a big gap, but it's, it's a little, it's a little bit of some substantial gap. It's, 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 it's Buffalo, Kansas City, gap. Gap, Dolphins, Bengals, and then work your way down the line. But I don't, I got to see that from, this is the Dolphins by far, by far, this is the Dolphins' biggest test of the season. Elite defense, very good pass rush, a team that's just as talented on the offensive side of the football as they are. I got to see them fight fight uh, and go up against uh, San Francisco pound for pound and match them blow for blow in, in, in a road game like this. I got to see it for me to take them and for me to sit back and say, okay, they can, they're, they're part of the big boys at AFC because beating up with all due respect, beating up on the Texans, Lions, Bears, and Browns, it ain't going to do enough for me. If they go into San Francisco and get their asses kicked 28 to nothing, or, sh- or don't show up and lose his game 35-10, I don't want to hear a word. 
they have to win this game. Have to. San Francisco needs it too to stay ahead of Seattle. They got they able to, they were able to catch Seattle. Now they got to find a way to uh, to to distance themselves while Seattle while Seattle you know is uh, is uh, suffering their first little piece of adversity throughout you know during the first significant piece of adversity throughout the duration of this season. So they got to so there's a little bit of pressure on them as well because. If they have sent, if the 49ers lose and fall to seven and five, and the Seahawks knock off the Rams, you're back to a basically a virtual tie with the 49ers only being in first place via tiebreaker. With that Thursday night matchup looming on December 15th in Seattle as well, but I got the Dolphins got to be able to run the football effectively, and and I got to see Tua, Tyreek, and Waddle go off up against that defense. Which I don't, which I don't think my heart of hearts that they'll do. For the 49ers by far have the most dominant defense in all of football. Most dominant defense. Their defense, their defense is ranked. Uh, let's see, their defense is ranked first. First, overall, they're ranked twelfth in passing and first against the run. Dolphins are 28th against the run. They don't run the football very well. And they're third overall in offense and second in passing. But I, I like that 49er defense a little bit more. The problem is that the 49ers have an off night defensively. Will San Francisco be able to keep up with Miami? But I don't think it will. But I, I, but I don't think, in my honest opinion, it will come down to that. You look at the injury report for San Francisco. Uh, they have... Um, Debo Samuel is questionable. Uh, is questionable for uh, for uh, Sunday's game, limited in practice with a quad injury. And Trent Williams, their uh, elite offensive tackle, had, dealing with a bad back. He didn't practice on Friday. He is list, list, listed as questionable for this Week 13 matchup as well. And then, I may be biased when I say this, but the main event between the Cincinnati Bengals and my Cincinnati Bengals and my and going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. My Cincinnati Bengals. My Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Kansas City Chiefs for the second time this 2022 calendar year. Third time these two teams have gone at it this calendar year. Of course, going back to uh, uh, Octo- October. January 2nd at Paul Brown Stadium, week 17. And then, of course, uh, the rematch of last season's AFC Championship game. Bengals 21-3. Uh, 21-3 comeback against Kansas City. You know the rest. Uh, you know the Chiefs. You know the Chiefs. That team is too good. They have too many great players on it. You know that Patrick Mahomes, especially especially him because he's that damn great of a player. You know it is just gnawing at him and it is burning his ass that the memories of uh, memories of that collapse in the championship game in his own building on top of when they lost to Kansas City and let that lead, or excuse me, they lost in Cincinnati and let that lead slip away 
uh, in the second half of Week 17 last year, which ended up costing them the number one seed, and they had to go up against Pittsburgh on wild card uh, on wild card weekend uh, 11 months ago. So I and there's been a lot of trash talk this week. Justin Reed not knowing Tyler Higby from Hayden Hurst and Hayden Hurst getting all annoyed saying I'm the la- I'm the last person you want to sh- talk shit to essentially or thereabouts and 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 Justin Reed and Jamar Chase talking you know uh, talking crap trash talking on Twitter and 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 the war of words with the media with the media in the locker room and and at the uh, press conferences it's just been an absolutely I tell you, if you enjoy that drama part of, of uh, if you enjoy that drama part of NFL football, this week was your week for Chiefs and Bengals because the war of words and the shit talking, and and the banter that took place between uh, Reed and Hurst and uh, and Higgins and and Chase. To the media and on Twitter, I mean, it is. It, you wish you wish that the league was. You wish that you got more of it from the players in the NFL in the lead up heading into the games. You know, Burrow and Burrow and and it's and it's funny. Burrow and Mahomes have utmost respect for each other and are cordial amongst each other. And you know, you never hear from them, but. Everybody else reads chiming in for Kansas City. I mean, and basically, you know, and the Bengals they never start stuff. And I give Taylor credit; he doesn't, you know, preach or let that sort of foolishness uh, uh, slide. But you know, Reed got up and and was asked. I think it was on Wednesday. I think is what it was. And it's just been a complete uh, firestorm since then. He poked the bear. Bengals took offense to it. You had Hurst. You had uh, Chase, of course, speak out about it. And we'll see uh, what is, uh, and we'll see what will occur on the football field. Bengals made it, you know, Bengals, of course, obviously weren't going to get punked and weren't going to just, you know, they obviously in a cordial, not a cordial, but in a non uh, uh, bulletin board material influencing type way stuck up for themselves and, and you know stood their ground. But at the end of the day, they was like, "To hell with the war of words. We'll settle this. Uh, we'll settle this dispute on the field." So, and if this matchup couldn't get any more, uh, spicy and couldn't get any more hot and heavy, couldn't get any. The anticipation of this game couldn't be higher. You have the war of words between Reed and a couple of members of the uh, Bengals, uh, a couple of members of the Bengals' offensive skill uh, of the Bengals' uh, offense, chiming in with a war of words between between the two of them. Uh, Clark Harris, the long snapper, expected to uh, uh, make a re- expected to make a return on the injury report today. Uh, you saw that uh, Jamar Chase was a full participant in practice uh, today on Friday. He's questionable for this game, although all signs look so that he is ready to ready to go. He, you know, he's he likes to play core with the media and likes to you know kind of keep him on their toes, always keep him guessing. But you know, Jamar Chase is going to show up and play. It's, you know, they're going to announce it. You know, morning of the game, Jamar Chase good to go. Just playing, it, it, gamesmanship is what it is. And then Mixon, who was limited in practice on Friday, and I believe did not practice. 
at one point in time earlier this week. Matter of fact, let me uh, get you the official Bengals report so I can uh, read, so I can get it to you ver- uh, verbatim. Uh, but the whole point of it is he was limited in practice on Friday. He is questionable to go uh, week 13 against uh, against Kansas City. He, uh, let's see, he was limited in practice on Wednesday, limited on fr- on Thursday, limited on Friday. He's been limited all this week. He's listed, listed as questionable. Logan Wilson is questionable. He did not practice on Friday. He's questionable dealing with an illness. So we'll see if Logan Wilson will be raring to go for the crew coming up on Sunday. Kadarius Tony is out with a hamstring injury. He has not practiced all week long. Dion Bush limited in practice on Friday. He is also listed as uh, questionable for Kansas City uh, as well. That's your injury report. But as for the game, listen, this is a game that I've been looking forward to since the schedule came out when I found out in mid-May. And it's hard to believe. It's funny. You sit back in mid-May, you know, it's warm outside, green leaves on the trees, football doesn't start for quite a few months, you're in the thick of the baseball season, you're watching the NBA playoffs, and you think, man, December's such a long ways away from now, man. And then you blink, and it's like, there's no leaves on the trees, it's cold, <laughs> baseball season's been over, you're watching the new NBA season, not the playoffs of the previous season. And it's, you know, you're right in the middle of the football season and it's like, wow, did it get here? And you, and it's Christmas decorations. It's, it's just, it's crazy how fast the year goes. But this is a game that when the schedule came out in, uh, in December, I, or excuse me, back in May of this year, I had it circled on my calendar. Chiefs versus Bengals AFC championship game rematch. Uh, at Paul Br- at uh, Paul Brown Paycor Stadium, whatever you want to call it, second time uh, in second time in eleven months, these two teams playing each other at uh, Paycor Stadium. Of course, third time this calendar year, which I previously previously already mentioned. You got the two AFC champ. You got the two AFC champions from the last three seasons. Chiefs went back to back in nineteen and twenty. Bengals, who won the, uh, who took the crown from Kansas City with twenty one to three comeback at Arrowhead. The champions of last seasons, the AFC champions of last of last uh, season, and Burrow versus uh, Burrow versus uh, and everybody you know Allen versus Allen versus uh, Mahomes Allen versus Mahomes and then oh by the way, Joe Shice is knocking the door saying hey what about me I mean you, you guys are so quick to call Allen and Mahomes the next version of Brady versus Manning. Tyler Boyd said this week, not so fast. This could be, this more than anything could be the next version of Brady versus Manning, Mahomes versus uh, versus my guy, Joseph Lee Burrow. Uh, but this is an absolutely intriguing matchup. Game, arguably, I mean, 49ers and Dolphins comes close, but arguably the game of the week right here, 425 CBS, 95% of the country will see this game on a local CBS station. Jim Nance, Tony Romo, who annoy, who will annoy the hell out of me by halftime, bloviating and, and, and gawking over, uh, over uh, Mahomes, which will drive me crazy. But hey, 425 stage nationwide audience doesn't regular season wise, unless you're playing on Thanksgiving, it doesn't get it against the Cowboys in that 430 window. It doesn't get much better than that, man. I tell you, uh, this uh, it, 
the I do the Bengals side of it first. The Bengals got to know and they gotta keep in mind that last year, last season is a is a is is a thing of the past. Last season is a thing of the past. 2021-3, nobody cares. Week 17 to win the division last back in January this calendar year last season, nobody cares. Okay? Nobody cares. New team, new season, new expectations. The Bengals cannot, you know, and you'll see it a ton during the broadcast, but they can't, and I don't think they will, but you can't dwell on, oh, man, the last time we played them, man, you know what? No. Different team, different season, different set of expectations. That team over there is too damn good, too damn talented. That quarterback is is too damn great. The coach is too damn great. For them, for you to think if you're a Bengals player or a Bengals coach to say, yeah, yeah, man, we got this one in the bag, man. Kansas City ain't this, Kansas City ain't that. They'll just roll over and die and give us the game and we'll wax the floor with these chumps. They have no Tyree kill. Chase is back. This is going to be a cakewalk. No, 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 no. You don't take, and I'm not saying that they will and that they have, but you cannot under any circumstances take this team lightly or take them for a joke. You got to give what they did in the playoff game, what they did week 17 last season. You got to give them your best. Team's riding high right now, a little bit of a winning streak. You got to do essentially what you did in week 17. Knock them off their little pedestal a little bit. They've won one, two, three, four. They've won one, two, three, four, five games in a row. They've won eight out of their last nine. You're the Bengals. Everybody talks about Kansas City this, Kansas City that. Kansas City is, once again, it's the king of the AFC. Again, like they back like they never left. My home is this, my home is that. You got to say, uh-uh. The motto that they've started to circulate within the last couple of weeks, they got to play us. Well, you got to play like you're the us that they got to be worried about. I don't want to see nine penalties for 88 yards like I did against Tennessee. You got to go out there, kick ass and take names, limit the penalties, limit the steward mistakes, maintain your poise, be disciplined. Don't get caught up in the little petty pissing matches and the petty arguments and the, and the scraps and the shouting. No. You settle it between the white lines. You maintain your poise, you keep your poise, and you send a message that, excuse my French, that the Cincinnati Bengals ain't no fucking one-year wonder. They ain't no fluke. They're here to stay. And if that means every single time they're a pain in the Chiefs' ass, then so be it. But you can't take them lightly. You can't underestimate them. Underestimate them, and you gotta come out there swinging like and and attacking like a bunch of crazed dogs, as LT used to say, and kick their ass 
and punched them in the mouth right from the opening kickoff and never let up until the clock hits triple zero. You got to be able to run the football effectively with Pirine, run the football effectively with Mixon if he plays, and you got and they got to take care of business. Take care of business, control the clock, keep Mahomes on the sideline, which he did an excellent job in both of the games last season. Kansas City, Kansas City defense, Kansas City defensively though was very good against the run. They ranked sixth. Bengals ranked twenty seventh. But the opportunity is there for the Bengals to let the ball fly offensively because Kansas City against the pass is ranked twenty third, and the Bengals the third best team in the league in passing, and they get chased back. So if and the way and what you've kind of seen with Cincinnati over the last month or so, especially with Chase being out with the with the fractured hip, is that they're is that they've gotten more diverse with their ways how to beat you. Carolina, it was running the football, pounding the rock, and having Joe Mixon kick ass and take names. Again, you know, they had a game against um, the game against Atlanta. They didn't have to run the football tremendously well. It was everything opened up for him in the pass game. And Joe Broke threw for over 400 yards and threw for, what, four touchdown passes or thereabouts. And it was Jamar Chase here, Tyler Boyd here, T. Higgins there. And they was just letting it fly, killing the Falcons secondary with the passing game. Last week, Pittsburgh, a little bit of both. Letting it rip with Joe Burrow when opportunities present themselves and productive and a productive running game uh and a productive and opportunistic running game not now they ran the football great against tennessee against pittsburgh won great but when they needed to get the second and third shorts and needed to punch the ball in, they were able to run the football when they needed to run the football and that's how they got to beat kansas city I got full fest confidence that if the run game is there, that the Bengals will go out there and feast and beast and hunt and control the clock and win time of possession, which is very important, even if it isn't a running uh, offensive game plan to start out. And then also to keep in mind, if they got to throw the ball, I got confidence that they can throw the ball as well. Trenton Irwin, T.I., has stepped up tremendously the last two weeks. Not to mention Higgins has balled out in Chase's absence. Chase is coming back. And, oh, by the way, there's a guy named Tyler Boyd who, who's, uh, who, isn't, who should be taken lightly as well. And then throw in, into the fact with Justin Reed giving them, giving them a pieces of motivation, signing off to the media earlier this week, which will get, which will get them extra fired up. And then the Bengals defensively. Three words. Stop Travis Kelsey. If anything, defensively, they may, at least on paper, they may have a little bit of a of an advantage and have a little bit of a better break because they don't have to worry about picking their poison and the and the two safeties back deep, you know, because they don't worry about Tyreek, they don't worry about Kelsey. You know, no, they don't have to worry about that. Pacheco run, you know, Pacheco, I hear you. Juju, yeah. No Kadarius Tony, MVS, I get it. But 
one elite superstar pass catcher. They don't have the second one anymore. They only have the one. And that one is Travis Kelsey. What are the Bengals going to do defensively to take him out of the football game and make Mahomes beat him with his other wide receivers? That's what I want to see. Will they be able to force Mahomes to turn over the football? They haven't been able to they haven't done a good job the last couple of weeks of forcing turnovers. Will they be able to force a turn they they forced a few. They got the two interceptions in the championship game. They couldn't pick them off in Cincinnati back in January back in January, week seventeen of last season. Will they be able to force Patrick Mahomes to make a couple of mistakes? Had a very few, had a good amount of bad throws last week against the Rams. What will they do to force to confuse Mahomes, keep him guessing, keep him on his heels, holding on to the football, and make a couple of mistakes, throwing a few interceptions? Because the Bengals give opposing defenses a lot of looks, a lot of different looks, a lot of different coverages, always keeping the opposing quarterback guessing. I am intrigued to see what they will have in store for Patrick Mahomes come Sunday afternoon. But it should be a great game, riveted. I anticipate my heart rate will be through the roof uh, in the last six minutes of the fourth quarter like it was during a championship game 11 months ago. Take a break, get into some other things, and the week 13 picks to come as well. This is the Ampatelica TIS Podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelka TIS podcast. You know it's Christmas time when uh, Bing Crosby is able to uh, bless us with his uh, great rendition of Do You Hear What I Hear as we welcome you back. A couple things I want to get off my chest here 
before we get to the week 13, uh, before we get to week 13 picks, and we've been through this path on this show a thousand times, uh, with, with these Royals, I, I, I am so sick and tired of the people within America and the, and, uh, and I hate to, and let me just be frank and just come right out with it. The white people in America, and I don't, I don't, you know, mean to put this on the whites, but as Dave Chappelle said, I've been black a long time. I've noticed the pattern. You know, and it's not all white people, but the but the quite a few white people that are out there, uh, it's enough with them trying to force the royals onto us Americans and onto American society and in American news and pop culture. It's enough. I didn't give a damn when Harry and Meghan talked to Oprah for two and a half hours on CBS back in uh, February or I or. March of 2021, whatever it is, I'm sick. I'm sick. I was sick of it and didn't want nothing to do with it. Then when I was in the, when I was, how old was I? Eight, nine years. Yeah, I was eight years old because it was in April and my birthday is in May. When I was eight years old, I had zero interest in that dopey, asinine royal wedding, taking up all those poor uh, London uh, and UK taxpayer dollars going to that asinine royal wedding. I had zero interest when I was eight years old at the time. Uh, ze- with uh, with um, with Kate and William, I had zero zero interest. And when I was a sophomore in high school, when I was five years ago now. When I was 15, I had no interest. My mother had, never will forget it, I was in the car with my mother, and as she turned to me and she asked me, you going to watch the royal wedding with me tomorrow? I said, what I said, I when she asked me the question, I already said no in my head, but just to, but just, you know, to not be, not totally shut her down, I asked the question, well, what time does it start? 6 a.m. Listen, it be I. It was true then. And I say it again. I'd be damned in the deepest pits of hell if I'm gonna get up at six a.m. on a Saturday morning to watch two to watch two jerk offs march down the aisle and answer a goddamn question at some asinine royal wedding that nobody in America with a life cares about. I mean, my goodness gracious, man, nobody cares. I so I, I it's enough. I don't give a crap about the. I don't give a crap about that dopey TV show, The Crown. I didn't shed a tear and light a candle when the Queen died in September, the same day of uh, Bills and Rams. I'm not interested. Why I bring all this up? People are making a big deal about uh, William and Kate coming over to uh, coming over to across the Atlantic to America. They were in Boston for some event or whatever and were sat uh, courtside at a, at a heat and Celtics on a, on a Wednesday night. Nobody in America cares. Holy crap. How many, how many times do you have to go through the, have to go through this path? Nobody cares about the dopey royals. Correct. Nobody with a life cares about the do- with a life and, and 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 responsibilities and and more intriguing uh, 
pop culture interest. Nobody cares about the Dopey Royals. I'm, I am not interested, okay? Last time I checked, last time I checked, and I am no, you know, great historian, no great Harvard historian, but what I do know is that America in 1776 and then in 18, and then around the time of 1812, and as a matter of fact, during the year of 1812, fought a war to, 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 uh, 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 to alienate and distance themselves from the Brits to become their own nation. I mean, ain't what I understand it isn't the primary, it, 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 it indirectly isn't the reason reason, but isn't that one of the causes of why and the reasons why we fought the Revolutionary War and wanted our and struck up a revolution and wanted to claim our independence and become our own nation because we got sick and tired of the monarchy crap with, with the British and the king and all that nonsense? I mean, didn't we fight a war, you know, the, 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 a long, 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 over 200 handful years ago? Didn't we fight a war to get away from this foolishness? And every single time, and we went through it again in 1812 when they lit fire to the White House and tried to uh, and tried to uh, capture Fort McHenry, and that's how we came up with the, and that's how we came up with the uh, with with the with our current rendition of the national anthem. Didn't, I mean, uh, maybe I might have missed it in school, but I I swear I didn't. I mean, and then yet for whatever the reason. Americans in this society are just hell-bent on jamming and shoving the monarchy and the king and the queen and the king and the queen and the William and Kate and Harry and me and nobody in America gives a damn about the dopey monarchy. Nobody cares. And so I'm supposed to get all teary-eyed and go gaga and throw bouquets and standing ovation and, 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 and all hail because Kate and William came over from England to America to watch Jason to watch Jason Tatum uh, to watch Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and see Tatum drop 49 on the on the Miami Heat. Who gives a shit? Who cares? They sat, they sat court, they sat courtside, and Kate doesn't know how to clap. Big deal. Holy goodness. It's enough with the dopey king and the queen and the monarchy and the prince and all this nonsense. Nobody cares. That's, 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 that's British lifestyle and the British monarchy and a part of the Britain and the Great Britain and, and London, England fabric. It ain't a part of the good old U.S. of A fabric at least it shouldn't be my goodness didn't we fight a fight again didn't we fight a war to get away from this foolishness and yet people for whatever the reason want to keep on bringing it back like I, I for what reason exactly like what do you get out of making these useless entitled fake ass fools relevant what what what, what 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 is the payoff behind it? Like, what do they contribute to American society in general, and in terms of you talking about them? What do they contribute? What do they contribute? Sick of hearing it. It's enough. In case you guys haven't checked your passports recently, you're American citizens.
Okay, if that wrapped up in a monarchy and this, that, and the other, and all that crap, do yourself a favor and either get dual citizenship or somehow control, delete your American citizenship, move over to England and become a citizen over there. Because over here we have presidents and other celebrities and other public figures, people who have who have talent and contribute positive and contribute to society in a positive light with their talents and their special abilities that are that are worth more attention than those two than those two idiots. Nobody cares. They want to sit courtside and watch Tatum drop damn near 50 on the heat. Let them do it in silence. I mean, I had I got to sit up here and poor Jalen Brown's got to sit up here and and and, and receive questions in a post game uh in a, in a post game press conference uh, what did it mean to you to perform in front of the queen asking a black ma- a black american male what it was like to play in front to play in front of the prince and princesses of wales i mean you must be kidding me you go, you ask any black person from boston to baltimore from brooklyn to san diego you ask one black person a thing that they know and a thing that they know about the monarchy and ask them and see if they give a damn about the about about who the hell william and kate are not a single black person from Baltimore to Boston, from New York City to Tampa, Florida, from Dallas, Texas to San Diego, California, to Seattle, Washington, to Minneapolis, Minnesota, to Nashville, Tennessee, to Atlanta, Georgia, to Jackson, Mississippi, that gives a flying you-know-what. I said it earlier in the show, so I'll say it. That gives a flying fuck about the Mayan, about the monarchy. Not one person had to get that off my chest. That annoyed me. Second thing, LeBron and his comments with Jerry Jones. Listen, now you can make the argument if you want to play devil's advocate when LeBron compared the coverage of Kyrie with Jerry Jones. You can make the argument that the only reason why LeBron gets asked constantly about Kyrie and he hadn't been asked about Jerry Jones is because A, Kyrie plays the same sport and is involved in the same sport in the same league that LeBron is. That's the NBA. He was teammates with Kyrie. He plays the same sport as Kyrie Irving does. So, you know, and those guys are basketball reporters or basketball beat writers. They're not, you know, they don't cover the Dallas Cowboys. They don't cover the NFL. You know, that's not their specific job title. Theirs is specifically basketball. So if you want to sit up here and nitpick, you know, well, the reason if and you want to play that game, well, that'd be the re, that would that that would be the only that would be the only leg you would have to stand on. Be and and if you if you if I had the opportunity to give a rebuttal to LeBron, to LeBron, I'd say LeBron, you're 100 percent correct. But just to make it clear to smooth this out for you, the reason why, on top of the reason that you mentioned, another reason why you don't get at, you get asked about Jerry Jones or crap you hadn't get at gotten asked about Jerry Jones, you got asked a, 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 a laundry list of questions about Kyrie Irving is because you, you a you were teammates with Kyrie Irving and b 
you all play you all play the same sport in the same league. Jerry Jones is the owner of the National Football League. You and Kyrie Irving are both players that make up the NBA. So, but the point he made was a thousand percent correct. Black players, black players, and black celebrities in America have been covered differently, talked about differently amongst the media, uh, and are looked at under the microscope more sharply and more closely than their white counterparts and white people within within the world of sports specifically, because this is what we're talking about, you know, a la owners of professional sports teams, whether you talk about Sarver, whether you talk about uh, Sterling in the NBA, you want to talk about in the NFL, Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder, um, uh, Robert Kraft with the whole scandal with the, uh, with the massage parlors down in Florida, you, I mean, you name it. It's more, it, it's more of a bigger microscope with the black athlete than it is their white, than there is their white counterpart amongst the media. Because, you know, when we screw up, it's a national story. It's blown up. It's all over the place. You can't, you won't have a hard time finding it. You won't have a hard time finding other people's opinions about it. Yet, with the white athlete, more often than not, isn't always a definite, isn't always the case. More often than not, you know, and in this day and age, depending on what they did, you'll hear about it. But it isn't as made and it isn't as much of an amplified story than it is when it's a black athlete doing it. So LeBron made LeBron made some some uh, some deep educated smart points when he said that at his press conference on Wednesday I believe it, on Wednesday I believe it was. So there's there's a point in that cuz there is a double standard that exists within the media of the difference of how the black athletes slip ups and the black athletes mistakes and the black athletes uh, stupid 60 minutes uh, is is veer and is covered and is talked about differently than the white athletes stupid 60 minutes uh, in, in time and their dumb moment and their idiot mistake and their you know racist or hateful moment there is a difference between the two, between the two of them there is a difference now it's not and that no way no way giving what Kyrie Irving said and the things that he said and done no way in hell does that mean I'm giving him a pass nor should he be given a pass but is but LeBron is just acknowledging that the double standard and that that area of contradiction and hypocrisy does exist and one reason why I bring up Jerry Jones is because Kyrie Irving is one per, is one person that, in the grand scheme of things, is is the employee. Jerry Jones is a multi billionaire who has more power than Kyrie Irving does. Who's the is he's the he's the billion dollar employer who's worth billions, makes makes billions, and has the and has power. Kyrie Irving doesn't have. A lot of power in the NBA. Jerry Jones has a lot of power within the NFL. And again, going back to this Jerry Jones thing. The thing about the Jerry Jones situation and the photograph that it that that the part of this whole shebang that's damning is not strictly, not only exclusively the fact that Jerry Jones was in that photo. And don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing him or absolving him for being in that photo or giving him the benefit of the doubt of giving him a pass. 
But what I am saying is that everybody at that age in their life has, again, made mistakes and have done things, participated in things and said things that they aren't proud of. Things that they really, at that point in time, moment in their lives, in their teenage, adolescent years where their brain's not fully developed, they're maturing, they're going through this, that, and the other. Like I said last week, under the influence of their parents because racism at that point period of time in America and that region of the country is passed down and has taught, you know, taught to to the upcoming generation the same as riding a bike and and counting to ten and their ABCs and their one two threes and and going to church and reciting the Ten Commandments and all that other sort of stuff. Not excusing it, but it's just a part of the culture that Jerry Jones growing up in Arkansas in the 40s and in, in, in the in the 40s and the 50s it's just in in the, through the early 60s it's just the way that it was not excusing it but it's just the way that it was him being in that photograph is not what's most damning it's not what's more troubling it's not what's most alarming about all of this it's him 65 years later, as an 80-year-old man that's worth billions, makes billions, the most powerful owner and one of the more richest owners in the National Football League and the more powerful owners within a league, if not in all of American sports, who has a black quarterback on his roster, black players galore up and down his roster, has employed many of black players throughout his tenure as owner going back to 1989. And yet when he was asked straight up by a black reporter standing five, five standing about a foot away, six inches away from his face, asked him straight up, do you have regrets? Do you regret being in that photo? And Jerry Jones shuffled and tap danced around the question never answered the question head on yes or no and admitted guilt admitted fault and asked for forgiveness for being for participating in that racist protest that is the that is the damning and the and the dangerous part and the eyebrow raising wow moment part that i take from it it's the 80 year old jerry jones who's who's lived and seen through jim crow dr king the rise of him, him getting assassinated. You only have to, and then you go from that to Rodney King in '92. You can go to, you can go to, to, uh, to, uh, 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 Derek Chauvin and the incident with him and George Floyd. You can go Breonna Taylor. You can go to numerous amounts of places where racism has taken place. Where racism taking place in this country, and it became a national, not phenomenon, but it became a national story. Jerry Jones, eighty years old, and been through and seen some stuff in his life. He's seen a lot in his eighty years of living, and then factor in these last what thirty three going on thirty four years, he's been the owner of the Cowboys. Yet after all of that, he stands up there and doesn't essentially take responsibility and admit guilt and ask for and ask for a sincere apology. That's the damning part. Because if he because if he either got out ahead of this and had done it long before, 
or asked straight up and admitted an apology. I would still have my thoughts and my notions about Jerry Jones, but I said, you know what? He was adult enough to take responsibility. He apologized. He's, it's, you know, it appears I can only go off of what he says in his appearance that he's not proud of it, that he regrets it. You got to take him at his word and move on. Because at the end of the day, and one like he was 80 year old or 41 year old or 50 year old or 60 year old or 31 or 21 year old Jerry Jones in that photo, he was 14. He was 14. Doesn't make it right, doesn't excuse him, but the same, but next sentence, we've all done things, participated in things, and said things at 13, 14. 15, 16, 17 years of age that if you were to pull back the curtain and do a little bit of investigation into all of our dirt and all of our history that we've done and participated and or said some things that we aren't that we aren't exactly proud of either. But it's the difference of learning that, apologizing for it, taking responsibility and expressing guilt and remorse for doing it. The difference between doing that and then what Jerry Jones did last week, and that's shuffling around the issue. So, had to address that Jerry Jones thing again, and LeBron, 100% right. The only thing is, I'd say, tell LeBron, Kyrie's in the NBA, and you were teammates with him, and he play, and you know, you guys are peers within the same league. Jerry Jones is in the NFL. The issue with Jerry Jones and that's the NFL's problem. Kyrie Irving is amongst your player constituency. That's the only thing I would have to say about uh, about LeBron and, and that situation. But it is that time, week thirteen in the National Football League, jam packed, busy week should be a great one. Week thirteen picks, National Football League. In the league where they play. For pay. Game number one on the slate, at least on the sheet in front of me, the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Detroit Lions. Jacksonville Jaguars coming off of an emotional comeback victory fourth quarter first time in the history of the franchise down seven points or more in the final minute of a game they came back took care of business against the ravens last week they head on the road to take on the detroit lions coming off of a heartbreaking uh, loss via anthony bass game-winning field goal on thanksgiving last week give me the it's a tough game detroit's a tough game to pick detroit's favored by a point Give me the Detroit Lions to win this game in a close one by the final score of 24-21. The Washington Commanders are two-and-a-half-point favorites, taking on the New York Football Giants. Giants last week, they played on Thanksgiving as well, getting, uh, t- getting handled very... Not impressive, but handily by the Dallas Cowboys last week. Meanwhile, Washington coming off of their Week 12 home victory against the Atlanta Falcons late in regulation. Give me the Washington Commanders to take care of business and win this football game by the final score of 24-14. to 14. 
The Green Bay Packers are three-point favorites. Aaron Rodgers is a go. Favored by field goal last week. They lost on Sunday Night Football to the Philadelphia Eagles. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bears coming off of their road loss at the hands of New York Jets. Give me the Chicago Bears and Aaron Rodgers, their rightful owner for the last, what, 15, 16 years or so. Give me the Green Bay Packers to bounce back to bounce back against Chicago by the final score of 28 to 10. Moving things ahead, the New York Jets taking on the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings, three-point favorites last week, beat the uh, New England Patriots on Thanksgiving night. Meanwhile, the Jets coming off of their victory against the aforementioned uh, Chicago Bears. Give me the Jets to pull off the upset, winning this game by the final score of 27-17. The Cleveland Browns are seven-point favorites. Deshaun Watson's return to the National Football League. First game in over 700 days, and it happens to be against the team that he asked out, his former team in the Houston Texans. Give me the Cleveland Browns to win this game. Cleveland coming off an overtime victory against the uh, Tim Bay Buccaneers last week. Meanwhile, the Houston Texans are coming off of uh, are coming off of their bye week. Give me the Cleveland Browns to win this game by a final score of 31 to 17. And the Tennessee Titans. Head on the road to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles, five-and-a-half-point favorites, coming off their aforementioned Sunday night victory against the Green Bay Packers. Meanwhile, the Tennessee Titans licking their wounds from their uh, home loss to my Cincinnati Bengals last week, giving the Philadelphia Eagles to keep to continue on their winning ways, beating the Titans by the final score of 14, or excuse me, by the final score of 24-14. to 14. The Pittsburgh Steelers fly south to Atlanta, Georgia to take on the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are one-and-a-half-point favorites, taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers last time out uh, took care of business in a gritty, gutty performance on the road against the Indianapolis Colts on Monday Night Football earlier this work week. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Falcons last week, uh, heartbreaking uh, loss in the final seconds of regulation on the road in rainy Landover, Maryland to the Washington Commanders. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to win back-to-back games with the final score of 24-21. Denver Broncos. Broncos country is riding into Baltimore. Baltimore eight-point favorites coming off of that embarrassing fourth-quarter collapse to the Jacksonville Jaguars last week. Denver Broncos coming off of an embarrassing loss themselves at the hands of the Carolina Panthers down in Charlotte last week. Give me the Ravens to get, to get back on track against that vaunted Denver Broncos defense, but the Broncos offense not much to write home about. Give me the Ravens to win this game by the final score of 17-2-6. 6 Bet the under of this game if you're betting the over-under. I'd suggest bet the under for this one. The Miami Dolphins fly westward to uh, Northern California, the Bay Area, to take on the San Francisco 49ers, who are three-and-a-half-point favorites. 49ers last week, shutout victory for them, defeating the New Orleans Saints at home by the final score 
of 13 to nothing. Meanwhile, Miami coming off of a bye week, week 11. They took, no, wait, excuse me. I apologize. The Texans were not coming off of a bye week. They got their teeth kicked in by the Dolphins 30 to 15 last week. Miami, tough task for them against the 49er defense. 49er got injury with uh, Debo Samuel. I don't think it'll matter. Give it to San Francisco 49ers to take care of business and to win this game by the final score of 28-17. No, let's do no. Let's do 28-10. Worry about that that Miami Dolphin defense, which has been very, which has struggled all season long. Give me the 49ers to win 28-10. The Seattle Seahawks, eight-point favorites, taking on. The Los Angeles Rams. Rams lost on the road last week at Arrowhead to the Chiefs 26-10. Uninspiring lost season for the Rams. Easy pickings for the Seattle Seahawks trying to bounce back. They've lost three. They've lost two out of their last three games back-to-back weeks to the Bucks and the uh, Raiders. Raiders last week in overtime at home. Giving the Seahawks the bounce back at SoFi with a 35-13 victory. The loss and high ankle sprain for Aaron Donald uh, for the uh, for the Rams. He will not play in the game as well. And it'll be a question to see, look at the injury report right here, whether or not, uh, whether or not uh, Wolford will be able to go. Stafford's out with the neck injury, won't return to approximately week 14. Uh, and let's see with the injury report right here. Uh, will Wolf will be able to go? I know I saw an injury report here somewhere. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Seahawks will take care of business 35-13. I thought I saw Wolf on the injury report, I guess. My eyes were lying to me. The Chargers taking on the Vegas Raiders. Chargers last week, much needed victory to keep their season alive against the uh, Arizona Cardinals on the road last week. Meanwhile, the Vegas Raiders took care of business in overtime. Josh, It was the Josh Jacobs show over 200 yards rushing against the Seattle Seahawks in overtime last week. Give me the Chargers to continue on their winning ways, winning this game by the final score of 31-21. And then, of course, the main event. Bengals are home underdogs in this game. Kansas City's favorite, minus two and a half. Kansas City last week beat the brakes off the Rams. My Bengals took care of business on the road against the Tennessee Titans. Back-to-back weeks, the Bengals have their opponents from the divisional and a championship round of the playoffs back in January of this calendar year of last season. Tough game to pick. Kansas City's only two-and-a-half-point favorites. Oh, boy. But something tells me Kansas City with a weaker roster roster heading into this game compared to last season. And Burrow ain't going to go undefeated as much as I'd love for it to happen. And you can never count Burrow out because he's that damn good. And he's honestly is the only quarterback in the National Football League you can make the argument that's on the same level as Patrick Mahomes in terms of, you know, who's the better quarterback pound for pound head to head. But I tell you, man, 
And don't get me wrong, regardless of who I pick, I'm rooting like hell for my Bengals, obviously. But I got the Kansas City Chiefs winning this ball game by the final score of 28-25. Kansas City will win by a field goal in an absolute classic. The Indianapolis Colts taking on the Dallas Cowboys and a Sunday night football game that'll put America to sleep by the middle of the second quarter. Indianapolis coming off of their Monday night, Monday night home loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Meanwhile, the Dallas Cowboys coming off of their Thanksgiving win against the New York football Giants last week, last Thursday to be exact, giving the Dallas Cowboys to stomp over the Indianapolis Colts in a laugher by the final score of 35 to 14. Moving things ahead, if you think the Sunday night game is bad, the Monday night game ain't that much better. New Orleans Saints coming off of their 13-0 shutout at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers last week. They fly to Tampa to take on the three-and-a-half-point favorite a Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off an overtime loss at the hands of the Cleveland Browns on the road last week. Give me Brady and the Bucks to bounce back and get back to 500 at 6-6 six and six with a win and the final score being 27-10. And those are your week 13 picks against the spread. We'll see if my Bengals can get it done against Kansas City this week. We'll see if uh, if the if the uh, Dolphins will be able to answer the bell against San Francisco in a tall order. Eagles and Titans should be a good one. Jets and Vikings, a damn good football game as well. And Washington and the Giants, a good old-fashioned NFC East clash, which in all objectivity could decide who makes the postseason as a wildcard team and what team will be on the outside looking in with a tough road to climb in the final full month of the regular season. Remember, if the Giants lose to Washington and the Seahawks beat the Rams, Seahawks move up to the Seahawks will move up to the uh will move up to the uh, seventh seed and the Giants would fall all the way down from the sixth seed to the eight because the Seahawks have tiebreaker over the Giants having beaten them head to head earlier this season. Late show dropping it on the wee hours of Saturday morning, late Friday night. Busy week for yours truly with school. Hit your knees and pray that I'm able to get through it. Uh, and I'm able to get through it and get it out of the way. These final papers and these projects with, with school are very tedious and uh, emotionally and mentally draining, exhausting process. Pray that yours truly gets done within, within uh, come the back end, come this upcoming today on Saturday. And then, of course, entering, I believe it's my final full a week of school for this uh, fall semester, if you will. So pray that yours truly is able to get through it, that uh, he uh, passes uh, this semester with flying colors. And so I will have the rest of December and a good chunk of January to dedicate my time uh, babbling away about the uh, world of sports to you all out there in podcast land. By the way, I want to take time out of this to uh, to say this as well. Uh, that you guys did an absolutely uh, sensational job this year. 
of course you have with the with the begin. I, I wish they would do it. I wish they would save it for like the last week of December or for New Year's Eve or New Year's Day for them to come out with this because 2022 isn't over yet. You still got a full month uh, at this point. What 30, 29 days left of 2022. But uh, but anyway, Spotify does it, and once the first of December rolls around, they do it. They come up with the Spotify Wrapped, and they do it for podcasters. They give out the the statistical numbers uh, of your podcasts over the year, and just to tell you guys, just to give you a couple of numbers: ninety six percent of you guys out there listening discovered me over this year. I certainly appreciate you guys for doing so. The Ben, the episode where I uh, ripped Ben Simmons and the Brooklyn Nets, twenty-two percent of you guys that hopped along for the ride this year started with this episode, <laughs> which I appreciate you for. You scream about Ben Simmons and the Nets, it gets your ratings. Show saw the, this show saw a twenty-three percent increase in listeners this year, nineteen percent increase in followers, and sixteen uh, percent increase in hours of content created this year. You can call me uh, Mr. Worldwide, as Piss, as Pitbull would say. This podcast was not only heard here in the United States, but also heard in Canada, the United Kingdom, Denmark, and in Australia, to boot as well, which I found to be very, very impressive. 59 episodes. This one will count as number 60 for the year. So i got uh, quite a few more episodes left than this 2022 calendar year left in me. But just a couple of numbers I wanted to shoot at you all. And for those of you all that have joined along for the ride, new to the program this year, or have listened since September of 2018 or since 19, joined during the COVID year 2020 or 2021, from the bottom of my heart, I want to take the opportunity to thank each and every single one of you guys that have taken the time out of your busy day to tune in and listen to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Certainly, I appreciate. I definitely appreciate your support, your listenership, uh, and your follow and your following on social media as well. Don't be a stranger. Don't be hesitant to share it with your friends and family on uh, social media, text message, email, uh, WhatsApp, whatever platform. Do not hesitate to uh, share and get the word out and spread the word of this uh, of what I've uh, put together over the last four years don't be hesitant also to follow me on twitter and instagram at the j shield follow show on instagram at i'm a talent square it is the show on on uh, instagram at i'm a talent square podcast it's your boy jay shields have a great weekend everybody stay safe stay healthy talk to you all on tuesday enjoy week 13 and conference championship weekend and college football talk to you next week see you